Good morning. It's been a great day of worship so far, hasn't it? I've enjoyed it. I hope you have. Man, it's a great. It's great to offer it to God. I know He has, and when we all, we worship from our heart, that's what He gets. I'm gonna um, preach fast, so you're gonna have to listen fast. Okay? Can y'all do that? Can you listen fast, Jamie? You capable? Can you listen fast? If I preach fast? Okay. I'm gonna preach fast today. Okay, I gave y'all a little challenge, didn't I, last week? Okay, can any, did anybody work on it? Anybody memorize Matthew 5, 1 through 12? A few of you did? Okay. Here, I, just to prove to you, I'm going to try it. I did it this week. I'll see if I can do it. On, you know, doing it in front of people is a little different than doing it standing by your computer or something, you know, in your room or whatever. But um, Jesus saw the crowds, and so he went up on the mountainside. And he sat down, and his disciples came to him, and, and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure at heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That's fun to do, you know. Thank you, thank you. Not that big a deal. Wait until we get to, you know, like halfway through, and then we got to say the whole thing together. No, but (laughs) that was easy. That was the beginning. (laughs) But um, I challenge you, if you're not, some, a handful of you raise your hand, you know, I'm not going to beat you up over it or anything like that. It's just simply a challenge. It's a blessing to memorize scripture. I, I like it because, man, I will never forget the Beatitudes, you know? And, and, and not that that in and of itself is that big of a deal, but, man, I mean, it, I have an opportunity now because this is in my head forever. I have an opportunity. It can, I will recall it. Maybe I'm in a moment where I need one of those pieces of scripture, you know, it's a great opportunity, and I just challenge you, do it. The Sermon on the Mount, these three chapters that we're going through right now, that we just started last week, and today we're going to do Matthew 5, uh, verses 13 through 16. You're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. You've all read these passages, you've probably heard them before. But man, we're going to really kind of dig in deep on these. But these three chapters, the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus teaches, it if, if you're going to memorize, I, I'll just say it. If you're going to memorize anything in Scripture, this is it. This is where Jesus gives us the keys to the kingdom. That's why I feel like it's so important that we preach through this, that we spend some time, and we don't just blow through it in a couple weeks. But we're going to take the summer going through this. And so make sure you're here every week and, and, and get engaged in this sermon that Jesus taught. These were the keys that Jesus wanted his disciples right here at the beginning of his ministry to get. And so I challenge you with that, and I challenge you. So let's jump in today. We're not going to waste any time. There was a, a, a businessman named Dennis from Katy, Texas. He needed some same-day dry cleaning before he left on a trip, and he remembered a store that had this huge sign, this dry cleaner sign, and it said, one-hour dry cleaners. It was all the way on the other side of town, and, and so he drove there to drop off a suit. After filling out the tag, he told the clerk, I need this in an hour. And she said, well, I can't get this back to you until next Thursday. Well, I thought you did dry cleaning in an hour. No, she replied, that's just the name of the store. <laughs> you know, as we, I'll let some of you catch up later. I told you I was going to be fast today. 
Um, <laughs> but today, as we move a little deeper into Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, we're going to see that, I'm just going to be honest with you today, he doesn't waste any time getting into some hard stuff. In this section that we call salt and light, we hear Jesus telling these people that there's more to being a Christian than simply calling yourself a Christian. I wonder, I wonder how many people in this world have become disillusioned or turned off by the church because the sign out front says we're Christians, but when they come inside, they're not finding what they think they're looking for. I wonder if they're finding what we claim to be on our sign out there. James chapter 2, verse 14. This is a section of scripture. We talk about it a lot, but I think it really is important to think about it in light of what we're doing here today. James 2.14 says this, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can his faith save him? Why not? We talk about I'm saved by grace through faith, not by works so that no one can boast, right? It's Ephesians chapter 2. Why does James say this? Someone has faith but does not have works. Can his faith save him? Jump down to verse 18. It says this, but someone will say you have faith. I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you my faith from my works. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, verse 26, I skipped down, sorry, So also faith without works is dead. What is James talking about here? Some of you don't know this about me. You might be surprised to learn. I I have this kind of side job. It's pretty lucrative, actually. Um, I'm a male model for the Gap. This is is some of my work. (laughs) Right here. What are y'all laughing about? I can see that you clearly are not convinced that's me. This was our shower curtain campaign, our shower window. Now, why is that a ridiculous claim? (laughs) Don't answer that. (laughs) Here's my point. I can stand up here and tell you I'm something all day long, but it doesn't make it so. Right? If I were really a male model, there would be some differences you would see up here. You would see me driving a different car. (laughs) You know, what you see is evidence of who you are. Do we believe that generally? I just want you to start off with this thought today. Genuine faith is evidenced by your life and impact on the world. Genuine faith is evidenced by your life and the way you live it and your impact on the world. And I want you to think about that. Jesus, as he begins the Sermon on the Mount, he wanted his followers. And that includes us. When he said his his disciples came to him and he began to teach them, at the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, it's very clear that throughout this entire message that he's wanting his audience to be bigger than just the people sitting on that hillside with him. He wants us to know that claiming to be a Christian does not save you. Saying you are a Christ follower does not actually make you a Christ follower. It's your actions, it's your lifestyle, it's your heart that shows whether or not what you claim to be 
is true. Look at Luke chapter 6 with me. It's going to be on the screen if you want to open your Bible. Luke chapter 6, verses 43 through 45. This is from the New Living Translation. It says this, A good tree cannot produce bad fruit. A bad tree cannot produce good fruit. A tree is identified by its fruit. Figs are never gathered from thorn bushes, and grapes are not picked from bramble bushes. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. And I have to warn you today that Jesus was not messing around in the Sermon on the Mount. He gets right to the point about what it means to live a life of faith and trusting God. It's hard teaching, and Jesus meant for this sermon to make you think about this one question. I really think this is an overarching question that he has throughout the Sermon on the Mount, and he really jumps into it today. The question is this, am I really a disciple of Jesus Christ? Have I really put my faith in him? Do I really trust him for my salvation? Today, Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16 contains two simple metaphors that we're going to take a look at that help us examine and see if we really are the Christians, the sign out front of our building says that each of us claims to be. And I think it's important that we think about it. So let's jump right in. Matthew 5, 13 through 16. It's up on the screen. Let's read it together. or I'll read it. You follow along. We'll read it. And um, this is your memory work for next week, by the way. So pay attention. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. They may see your good deeds and Glorify your Father in heaven. Now, I want to start off by pointing something out. The very first word of the first two verses uses the emphatic you. It says, you are the salt of the earth. The next verse starts, verse 14 starts, you are the light of the world. I want you to notice this. It does not say at the beginning of each of these verses, you will become. It doesn't say you are working to become. It doesn't say you are working towards your eventual goal is one day you hope to be. It doesn't doesn't say that you're developing into. It doesn't say that you are trying to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Jesus here in this passage is defining what it means to be a Christian. What it means to be a follower of his. It says this is what a Christian is. Either you are or you are not. The salt of the earth and the light of the world. And so we've got to ask this question. What does a genuine Christian do? What does a person who's living with a genuine faith, a true follower of God, not just standing up and proclaiming it, but actually being it, what does that look like? He begins with you are the salt of the earth. And here are some facts that you may or or may not know about salt, but I found some of these interesting. Did you know that salt has more than 14,000 known uses in the world today? More than 14,000 known uses. Our oceans average about 2.6% salt by weight. That means that a cubic kilometer of ocean water contains about 26 metric tons of salt. The point being that the world will never run out of salt. 
Did you know that we get our phrase, you know where we get our phrase, he's not worth his salt from? See, back in, uh, in ancient Greece, they used to trade slaves for salt. That used to be their, their bartering system. And when a slave did not live up to his expectations or do his job well, the phrase was said, he's not worth his salt. Interesting. I'm not going to help you in life any, but it's interesting. Um, another one, in ancient Rome, did you know workers in ancient Rome were paid in salt rations? That was what they were paid with uh, to get along. It was called salarium argentum, which is where we get our word today, salary. So you could throw that out. Your boss might be impressed. He, he won't, but you could try. Um, here's another one. Um, this, I always find this one funny. Is my teenage daughter will come in from school some days, and then she likes to. She gets tired. And I told her I was going to use her today, so she's. But <laughs> but she'll go. She'll go back and she'll go back to her room and she'll take a nap. And when she gets up after her nap, she's what we call salty. <laughs> <laughs> She, that means she, you don't want to talk to her for a little while after she gets up. And she, like if she gets upset at someone at school, she'll say, I'm feeling kind of salty today. And I don't, it's just funny how we salt has so many uses. It's so prevalent in our society. I think it's important as we talk about all these different things. What did Jesus mean when he told his followers that they are the salt of the earth? In biblical times, while there were many, many uses for salt, there were two primary purposes of salt. When someone in, in biblical times, when, when Scripture, when Jesus walked the earth, when they heard about salt, there would have been one of two main purposes that they would have thought about. And that's what I want us to start off by taking a look, about, look at today that Jesus was referring to when he said salt, this is what his audience would have heard when he said, you are the salt of the earth. First is this, salt was used as a preservative for food, specifically for meat. Without refrigeration, salt would prevent bacteria from growing in the meat. Salt was such a supremely valuable commodity in those days that wars were actually fought over it, much like wars are fought over oil today. For the disciple of Jesus, being called the salt of the earth, we are called upon to have an impact on this world as his representatives. Here's the first point I want you to write down today. A genuine Christian works to preserve a godly standard. This is what Jesus meant when he said, you are the salt of the earth. The Christian is meant to preserve a godly standard here on earth. We can preserve a godly standard by setting an example in our own lives and by speaking up and standing up for godly standards in a lot of places. Standing up for a godly standard in our family, in our home, in our workplaces, among our friends, and even in our community. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20 says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf be reconciled to God. We are his representatives. When Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, when, by, by nature, saying, I am a Christian, I am a follower of God, I have genuine faith, you are saying, I am the salt of the earth. I am wearing the mantle as a representative of God. Everywhere I go, I am the salt of the earth. When people look at me, they are seeing a representative for Christ. It is my responsibility, I know we hate that word, but it is my responsibility to be the salt of the earth and to preserve godly standards in this world, in my family, in my workplace, in my neighborhood, in my community, among my friends, everywhere I go. 
And I think it's an important question to ask of yourself. Are you living a life that preserves a godly standard wherever you go? As an example to others, as a commitment to purity, are you the salt of the earth? Another use for salt in that day, people would have understood as much like today. It was a seasoning used to add flavor. One of the great crimes in my house, and I just got to be flat out honest with you, is when I walk into the pantry and I pick up my box of Cheez-Its and it has a green tag on it that says reduce sodium. I come unglued. <laughs> I know, high blood pressure, sodium, blah, 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 blah. I want my salt, okay? Salt adds flavor. We need salt to add flavor. Good food needs so I'm not an oversalter, don't, don't misinterpret me, but man, you got to have a little bit. There's no such thing as an oversalter, but you don't know what that is. Where was I? Okay. I'm getting so worked up about my salt. Apparently, we didn't go to the grocery store this week. For the disciple, Jesus is telling us that we need to add flavor wherever we are. A genuine Christian, number two thing I want you to write down here is this. A genuine Christian works to season a hopeless world. When Jesus says you're the salt of the earth, he's saying I want you to season a hopeless world by living and sharing the message of Christ. Do you add flavor to the world around you for the sake of Christ? Can others see that there's something different about you? Can you or are you willing to talk about your faith with others? 2 Timothy 4.2, Paul is imploring Timothy, he's, he's instructing Timothy, he says this, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Being the salt of the earth means something. When Jesus said to you and to me, you are the salt of the earth that has meaning, if you're really a follower of Jesus, you are salt. You're preserving a godly standard. You're the seasoning for a hopeless world. I think we have to ask that question, am I living what I claim to be? Is it bearing out to show that I really am a follower of Jesus? Jesus doesn't stop there. That'd be enough for most sermons since it's almost 11, but no. He says, you are the light of the world. Let's talk about light. What did Jesus mean when he said, you are the light of the world? Studies show that a candle lit in complete darkness could be seen from as far as 30 miles away. Now, of course, because of the horizon, you would have to be up on a mountain to be able to see that far. But in, in, a, in a dark setting, a candle could be seen from as far, a, a small candle flame, could be seen from as far as 30 miles away. I, I think it, it would be kind of cool if we could get this room completely dark we couldn't, but if we couldn't. One, one interesting thing, I've done this before with, with groups, is uh, if we could turn every light off in here and block out every source of light and it was completely black, I could stand in the middle of this room, and when I lit the candle, it would actually cause you to squint wherever you are because the, the light would come in and, and be so intrusive. It doesn't take much light at all to shatter a whole lot of darkness in a room this size or even one much bigger You see, light is powerful. And Jesus describes light in two ways here as we take a look at this passage. First, 
He tells us that a city on a hill cannot be hidden. As a kid, I remember my grandfather, my dad's dad, I remember talking, hearing him talk back in World War II days that they used to live up in Norfolk, Virginia, right near the coast. And he would tell me about during World War II how they would have to have blackouts because there were German subs that they knew were patrolling off the eastern coast of the United States. And, uh, and they would have blackouts at times because they knew that would be the only way they could hide the exact location of the American cities from being attacked. All it would have taken to reveal where that city was was one small point of light. It would have given the Germans all the intel that they needed. And I was always amazed at hearing my grandfather talk about that. You see, as followers of Jesus, Jesus wants us to be light. He wants us to be seen in this dark world. He wants us to stand up like a city on a hill and show the world who Jesus really is. And this is the third thing I want you to write down today is a genuine Christian works to reveal the truth. A genuine Christian works to reveal the truth about who God is and how we can be saved by faith in his son Jesus Light reveals truth, and when light shines, either we welcome it so we can see the truth or we run from it so that the truth will never be revealed. John 3, 19 through 21, Jesus is talking with Nicodemus, and he says these words, This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that by it, so that it may be seen plainly what they have done and has been done in the sight of God. Guys, we're called to be light. We know the truth and we know we must proclaim it. Here's the problem. When we shine light and truth is revealed, some are going to be offended Sometimes we're going to be called judgmental. When we shine the light of truth on the sin in the world, it means we're going to be attacked because the world doesn't want light. But we are called to be light. We are called to reveal the truth of God's word. We are the light of the world. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Second thing he tells us, is that a light in a room isn't hidden under a bowl. Instead, we put it on a stand and, and let it light up the entire room. We need it to be able to see. I always find it interesting, you know, really technically speaking, our vision, our eyes, aren't, we don't actually see objects when we're looking. What you're seeing is you're seeing a light reflection off of objects. And that's what your, light, your eyes are interpreting. And I don't know if you, you know, some of you probably knew that already, but, but uh, and, and different uh, wavelengths are reflected off different objects, and that's what gives us color, and our eyes are able to detect different colors in that way. But what we're actually seeing is a reflection of light. If there was no light, we would be completely blind. It would be completely dark. We would not be able to see objects. Here's the point. As followers of Jesus, when he says that we're the light of the world, we need to understand that there's a difference between the moon and the sun. Think about it. The sun is a source of light. The moon gives us light at night, but the moon produces no light of its own. It's simply a reflection of the sun. One is a source of light. 
The other is a reflection of light. The sun produces light for our solar system. The moon doesn't produce any light at all. It's simply a reflection of the sun's light. When we're called to be light, we are not called to produce light. That's Jesus' job. We are called to reflect the light of Jesus in this world. And the, the fourth thing I want you to write down is this. When Jesus says you're the light of the world, a genuine Christian works to reflect the light of the Father. Ephesians 5 8 through 14 says this, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the world. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with, fruitless, with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated, illuminated becomes a light. That is why it said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you so that you can reflect him into the world. My question to you is this, are you reflecting the Father in how you're living your life? In this dark world, are you bringing him glory by your good deeds? You know, some people, and you might, you might even read ahead in the Sermon on the Mount in, in Matthew 6, where he talks about, you know, don't, don't stand up so others can see your deeds like fasting and praying, but go hide in a closet. And somebody, well, isn't this contradictory? Do these good deeds so that everybody can see them? No, you see, this is totally different. What Jesus is talking about here is saying, reflect the Father so that he gets all the glory. When you're living a life that reflects the genuine faith that is in you. When you live a life that is reflecting the Father and others look at you, they're not looking to give you praise and glory. They're looking to give praise and glory and honor to our God. We are called to be the light of the world. We are called to reflect the Father. We want people to know who we belong to. And Jesus wants it to know too. You see, a Christian has a purpose a genuine follower of Jesus is the salt of the earth. A genuine follower of Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is defining what it means to follow him in this short section of Scripture. Here's a statement to finish up. You can't claim to belong to Jesus and fail to impact the world around you. It simply is not possible. There is nothing passive about being the salt of the earth. There is nothing passive about being the light of the world. There's never a time when you've done enough. There's never a time when you've satisfied your quota. Salt is salt until it exists no more. Light is light until it is extinguished. Ask yourself, am I really a disciple of Jesus? Am I living as salt and light in this world? It's a question that must be answered. As we continue to move through the next few sections of the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to see that Jesus is saying, are you really my follower? Are you really willing to live as salt? To be a preservative and a seasoning in this world? Are you really living, willing to live as light? to reveal truth and to reflect the Father in this world. See, those things actually impact everything around them. 
And Jesus is saying, guys, if you're going to be my followers, you've got to impact the world around you. That's simply what it means to be my follower. And today I've got to ask you that question. Are you impacting the world around you? For him, that's what it means to be his follower. Today we're going to close with a song. Oh, how I love Jesus. We're going to sing it together. And I just want you to take some time during the song. Sing it with us if you want. Get down on your knees in prayer if you want. Come talk to one of our prayer partners if you want. Whatever you need. But during this time of invitation, it's not just a closing song so we can get to the spaghetti meal quicker. It's our time to really think about, am I living as salt? Am I living as light? Am I impacting my world? Maybe, maybe it's time to say, am I really following Jesus? If you want to talk more about that, come talk to one of us. I'd love to hang around after the service and talk more about that with you. I'd love to pray with you about that. Help you maybe see what are some steps we can take. If you think, you know what, I'm not following Jesus. I'm not really a disciple. I'm not really impacting my world. And I want to. Let's start taking those steps. Don't leave here today without addressing this. Jesus felt like this was important enough to open his Sermon on the Mount with. Maybe we need to talk about it some more. Don't leave here today without addressing it. Pray with me, please. Father, thank you for our opportunity this morning to, to continue looking in, into the words of Jesus and what he had to say, what it meant to be a follower of his. And, and God, I just pray right now that, that your spirit is speaking in, into each of our hearts, causing us to examine, am I really living as salt of the earth? Am I really living as, as a light in this world? Am I really having the impact that Christ has called me to have? Am I really living genuine faith and trust in him? And God, please don't let people leave here today unless they've answered that question affirmatively, unless they've decided that they're going to deal with it. God, put that on our hearts. We love you and we thank you for the opportunity we've had to worship together. And I pray that we won't leave until we've answered the question. In Jesus' name.